Well, having said that, let's turn to our text today, which is about prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6, look on page 1160. Ephesians chapter 6, page 1160. And we're ending the, uh, getting near to the end of the sermon series in Ephesians, believe it or not, and we're uh, here at the end of the passage on spiritual warfare, the armor of God. Let me just start reading at verse 10 to read the passage in context. Paul says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly Make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, we are again faced with the great mystery that on the one hand, You are glorious, awesome, holy, beautiful, and worthy of all worship and praise. And yet, on the other hand, we do not give it to You And we do not even see your beauty and worth. And in fact, Lord, we live in a world where people even dare to ask, is there a God? And Lord, we look at this great contradiction and how how obscene it is that, that such a world would respond this way to such a God as you. And so, Lord, we we realize the problem is with us, that, that our hearts are dark, our hearts are blinded by sinfulness and by worldly thinking. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning as we open up your word that you would, by your Holy Spirit, turn the lights on for us, that you would illumine us, that you would show us your glory, that you would show us the beauty of your presence that has been blinded because of the scales in our eyes. Help us to see Christ this morning, Lord. Help us to see his beauty. Lord, we come here from different places this morning. Some of us come feeling sluggish. Some of us are discouraged. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are just lost in the ways of the world. I pray, God, wherever we're coming from this morning, you might reach down, touch us, show us the glory of Christ, that as we open your word, your Holy Spirit might come and help us to see you and to hear from you so that we might leave this place being able to say with confidence, this was a great morning because I heard from God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Much prayer, much power. More prayer, more power. Little prayer, little power. The effectiveness of my Christian life and of your Christian life stands in direct 
proportion to the effectiveness of our prayer lives. We will be faithful to Jesus in our lives to the same extent that we are faithful in prayer. Prayer is the means by which we access the power of God for Christian living. We've been studying this passage on spiritual warfare, and today we come to verse 18 about prayer. And we've been seeing that the spiritual war in which we are engaged is a supernatural conflict. That following Jesus is not just kind of a self-help religion. It's not like, hey, here's some tips on how to live your life better, so just put it into practice and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's a supernatural goal of being conformed to Christ. Who can do that? And so we need supernatural power, and prayer is the means by which we call out to God and say, God, I can't. You know, like we sang in this song, you know, it's our confession, Lord, that we are weak, so very weak, but you are strong. That's the heart of prayer. God, we can't do it. We don't have the strength. We don't have the resources. And so prayer is the means by which we access the power of God for Christian living. Much prayer, much power. More prayer, more power. A little prayer, a little power. Look at verse 18. Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Let me just begin by making two general observations about this verse. The first observation I'd like to make about this verse is that this verse on prayer is part of the teaching on spiritual warfare. And maybe you're saying, well, duh, I, I realize that. But I mean, I think it's important to emphasize that, you know, when he starts in verse 18, it's not like Paul has been talking about spiritual warfare and now he wants to launch off on some different topic. This is still the spiritual warfare passage. Prayer is an integral part of spiritual warfare. You might not see it as clearly in your English translation, but in the Greek Bible in which, in which the New Testament was written, it's very clear. Because in the Greek Bible, verses 14 to 18 are really one big old sentence. The main verb of the sentence is in verse 14. You see that there? Stand firm. That's the main verb of the sentence. And then after it are a string of participles modifying stand firm. So in Greek, it literally reads in verse 14, Stand firm then, having girded your loins with truth. So, and, and it goes on like that. And then in verse 18, we're still doing the participles. So verse 18, it's, And praying in the Spirit. So it's clear in the Greek text that, that prayer is part of how we stand firm in the spiritual war. It's not a different topic. It's not like Paul has suddenly done a random shift gears, and now he's talking about prayer. It used to be spiritual warfare, now it's prayer. No, no, no. He's still on the spiritual warfare topic. Notice also uh, at the end of verse 18, he says, be alert. I mean, this is warfare language. This is the language of a guard on duty who has to be alert and stay at his watch. It's like when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he told the disciples, remember what he said? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So it's through being alert and praying that we are uh, calling upon the power of God for the spiritual war. So that's the first thing I noticed, that prayer is part of spiritual warfare. The second thing I want to notice is that prayer is a critical part of spiritual warfare. In other words, it seems that in this verse... Paul is in some ways highlighting prayer. He's listed all different aspects of spiritual warfare. We need the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. But when he gets to prayer, it, it's almost like he puts it in italics. 
He puts it in a little bit larger font. He's trying to point at it in a special way and say, hey, look, prayer is particularly important. Notice what he does to highlight prayer. First of all, it comes at the end of the list. Oftentimes in in writing, whatever comes at the end receives the beat. Uh, You know, after the gymnastics routine, this is where he sticks the landing. Two feet. Prayer. That's how he ends it. Notice, second of all, that Paul gives three verses to prayer. He puts a little phrase in here, breastplate of righteousness, a little phrase in there, belt of truth, a little bit more for the sword of the Spirit. But when he hits prayer, it's verses 18 and 19 and 20. He gets on prayer and he just starts going. So so in a sense, it it receives a little more emphasis in this text. And I would say the third reason I, I see it being highlighted is because at this point in verse 18, he discontinues the warfare metaphor. So he doesn't talk about the spear of prayer or the gloves of prayer or something like that. He kind of drops off the metaphor and just starts going on about prayer. So, yeah, prayer is part of spiritual warfare, but I think we have to say it's an important special part of spiritual warfare. It's, It's the way in which we put on the armor of God. This makes sense, doesn't it? Because what is prayer but an attitude of dependence upon God. When I'm praying, what I'm saying is, God, if I'm really praying, I'm saying, God, I can't. You know, I have this issue in my marriage. I have this issue in my family. I have this issue at work. God, I have this issue in my my struggle to follow Christ. Lord, or whatever it is, there are these missionaries I'm concerned about, this church issue that I'm concerned about, the Family Life Center project, whatever it is. And so we come to God in dependence saying, God, we can't. And so in so doing, we're calling upon the power of God. In a sense, prayer is what we do in order to prepare for spiritual warfare. It's like the breastplate of righteousness. We're supposed to put that on, right? We're supposed to be marked by the righteousness of Christ. But we look in our lives and we don't see righteousness. We see unrighteousness. I see fear. I see worry. I see that I doubt God. I look into my life and I see greed, I may see lust, I may see pride, I may see that I have a sarcastic attitude and a sarcastic mouth toward others. You know, whatever it is, I see all this unrighteousness in my life. So so what do I do about it? Well, the answer is, you pray. That's how you put on the breastplate of righteousness. You say, God, look at me. I am not there yet. And so, Lord, will you make me righteous and transform me into the image of Christ? It's through prayer that we put on the pieces of the armor. It's by prayer that we are empowered to live the spiritual war. You know, I was trying to think of an analogy uh, of, of what prayer is like in the spiritual war. And, and the, uh, the analogy that came to my mind was uh, a, a tactic that's being used by our military in modern warfare. It's called close air support. Do you know what close air support is? It, it's, it's a strategy by which ground forces are closely supported by air forces so, so that, you know, the, the air force comes in in close proximity to the ground forces. Uh, for instance, this was used uh, in the war in Iraq. Uh, what would happen is that we'd have um, jets circling overhead 24-7. Jets were circling over the battlefield. In fact, there were big refueling tankers overhead, and the jets would come in and, and link up with the refueling tankers so they could just stay airborne. And they'd have a full load of ordnance on, on them, and they just were kind of waiting. And then as the ground forces advanced, they would, they would come up and they might see a, a division of tanks or some armored vehicles up ahead right in front of them. And so what they do is they'd, you know, laser paint those vehicles or whatever, and they'd call in the air support. And, and so just as they're advancing on the battlefield, 
the jets are flying in overhead and dropping in the heavy ordnance and the laser-guided bombs and all that, you know, fancy high-tech stuff. And, and so, you know, the, the armor is destroyed. So that by the time the ground forces get there, it's just kind of a mop-up operation. The, the, the battle has already been won. And I think, you know, what a picture that is of prayer. That as we're trying to advance in the Christian life, we pray and we say, God, we need you to do this. Whether it's growing in holiness in my Christian life or advancing the gospel on the South Shore or advancing the gospel through missions, we say, God, we're unable to do it. We need your support. And so through prayer, God, in a sense, softens up the resistance in front of us so that by the time we get there, the work's already done. It's sort of like when the Israelites went into the land of Cana. You know, God went ahead of them. And so by the time they got there, they were just, I mean, they had to fight, but, but it, was, it was a done deal because the Lord had gone ahead of them. That's what prayer does in the spiritual war. It, it removes the obstacles. It does the work before we get there to do the work. Prayer is the battle before the battle that makes the battle for sure. When I think of that kind of praying, uh, one of the characters from history who comes to mind is David Brainerd. I don't know if you're familiar with David Brainerd. He was uh, early 18th century. He was a contemporary of like uh, Whitfield and Wesley and um, uh, Jonathan Edwards. And Brainerd was a missionary to Native Americans here in, here in America before we were America, uh, when we were still just colonies. But he went into uh, New York and New Jersey and tried to share Christ with, with the Native American peoples. And, you know, what an impossible task he faced. <laughs> Here's this guy, this Englishman, right? 18th century Englishman going into the woods to meet with, I mean, you could say a totally foreign culture. I mean, how, how different is Native American culture from English culture? You know, this is ridiculous. This guy is going to go in there and try to tell these people about the love of Christ? I mean, it seems ridiculous. Not only that, he didn't speak the language. He didn't know the culture. And so he goes into this situation. He realizes how hopeless it is. This is this guy. He's in his 20s. David Brenner died at age 29. And so he extinguished his short life quickly, trying to reach the Indians with the gospel. Not only that, but a lot of these Native Americans had now lived for a century with Europeans who called themselves Christians, but a lot of them were just nominal Christians. They were godless people who called themselves Christians. So you have these Native Americans who've seen these Christians, and they're like, oh, that's Christianity. You know, no thanks. Very difficult situation. And so David Brainerd walks into this. What is he going to do? How in the world does he have any hope of reaching these people with the love of Christ? And so what does David Brainerd do? He prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and then he prayed some more. He literally, literally would go into the woods for days and pray. He would just fall on his knees and just cry out to God, God, if this is going to happen, it's going to take a miraculous move of your spirit. And sure enough, God moved. There's, there's a story of one time he was preaching. He had an interpreter there because he didn't speak the language. The interpreter was falling, literally falling down drunk. This guy had been drinking, and he, the guy couldn't even stand up. And, and so that's the interpreter. <laughs> and somehow, speaking through this interpreter, Brainerd has to share the complex ideas of the gospel with these people. He, I mean, he's not just saying, you know, hi, how are you, let's trade, or something like that. He's saying, trying to explain the gospel through this drunk interpreter. It's a ridiculous situation. But through that sermon, scores, scores of Native Americans came to Christ in that sermon. And a revival swept through that tribe. You look at it and you go, what? 
You know, white boy from England comes to Native American tribe, totally different culture, speaking through drunk interpreter. What? And the only answer is God did it. God did that work of evangelism. God is the one who reached them. But the way Brainerd accessed it was through hours and hours and hours spent in prayer, calling upon the power of God to open up hearts so that people would see the love of Jesus Christ and be saved. Friends, this is the work of ministry. Right now, in this service, the most important part of the worship service is taking place. And I don't mean the sermon. Do you know what the most important part of this worship service is right now? Yeah, right. Right back here. Actually, if you, if you were to go through this wall about 30 feet, you find a little room. It's called our prayer room. And inside that prayer room, there's two people praying. We try to have two people praying in every service for the service during the service. So when you guys start walking in in the morning, these people are already praying. And at the end of the service, you know, you've seen them. They come out on the side here, and they say, if anyone wants to come over and pray, you can go over and pray with them. They're praying for us during the whole service. That's the real work of, the, of prayer. You know, I'm just the grunt up here with my gun, you know, shooting at your hearts, right? But they're the ones calling in the close air support. So if you feel God speaking to your heart, if you feel God convicting you about something, it's thanks to their prayers. That's what it is. You know, people come up to me after the service sometimes. They say, oh, thank you. You know, God was teaching me about this. Or when you said this in your sermon, God really spoke to me about that. It, you know, it, and I appreciate that. But don't thank me. Thank God. And if you do have to thank a person, if you feel a need to walk up to a human being and thank them, then go over and thank the prayer team. Go up to them after the service and say the same thing. God spoke to me during the sermon, and I want to thank you for praying that God would do that. In fact, I don't know, I kind of have this idea. I don't know if you guys want to do it or not, but it's you know, sort of a group conspiracy here. Hopefully those people aren't listening. Wouldn't it be cool if after the service this morning, when they come out to pray, like a whole wave of people just went over to them and, you know, we formed a big old line around the sanctuary of people just going up and saying, hey, God was speaking to me in the message today. God spoke to me through the music, and I want to thank you for, for praying for me. Just a quick little, and, you know, if there's like maybe like 40, 50 of us who came by and said that, they'd be like, ah! you know, I don't know. What, what do you guys say? You want to do it? Okay. All in favor? Okay, congregational. Uh, okay, that's a majority. Um, so, all right, let's do that. Because, you know, your heart is the altar, the sermon in God's Word is the meat placed upon the altar, but those people are calling down the fire for it to fall on our hearts so that it wouldn't just be some dead words from, from some empty-headed preacher, but it would be the Holy Spirit of God through His Word working in your heart. And the way that is accessed is through prayer. Much prayer, much power, more prayer, more power, a little prayer, just a little bit of power. Prayer is the means by which we access God's power for our Christian living, our marriages, our singleness, our witness at work, world evangelization, church issues, your Sunday school class, your Bible study. If, if you're struggling in any of those ministries and you're not praying, well, you know, duh! <laughs> We've got to pray, people, if we want God's power in our lives as a church and as individuals. So, Okay, maybe you're saying, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I know, I believe prayer is right. Thanks for this reminder, but I already believe that. I know that prayer is how we get the power of God. The thing I struggle with is actually doing it. That's the hard thing. Prayer is hard work. I'm telling you, I think prayer is one of the hardest things in the Christian life. I find prayer 
up there in difficulty with evangelism. It just, it's one of those things that we as Christians know we're supposed to do, but we just don't do it. And we say, how do we pray? How do we start praying? Boy, I'd like to pray, but I really don't know how. Maybe some of you weren't raised being taught how to pray. No one ever just taught you how to do it. Or maybe you were raised in a church tradition where there was prayer, but it tended to be emphasized uh, the, the rote, memorized kind of prayers. And so you have you know, a bunch of prayers that you can recite, but they aren't necessarily prayers from your heart. And so you think, well, how do I get into this? That sounds great, but what, where do I start? So what I'd like to do is look at verse 18 again, but now look at it from a different angle. And notice that Paul doesn't just say pray. He gives a series of qualifiers or modifiers on how to pray. And what I want to do is just look at those modifiers with you and from those modifiers take instruction on how we should go about praying. This isn't everything that we could say about how to pray, but it's, it's some things that we need to look at. Notice, and let me just read through 18 again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So the first modifier is in verse 18 there, and pray in the Spirit. The first way that we should pray is in the Holy Spirit, or that means by means of the Holy Spirit. Now when he says that, he's not talking about praying in tongues. Some people have interpreted this passage that way. That's not what that means, because this is a passage given to everybody, and tongues is not given to everybody. So, So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What it means is to pray by means of the Holy Spirit, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, uh, energized and carried along by the Holy Spirit, that, that as I'm praying, the Holy Spirit is helping me and guiding me to do it in the process of prayer. Which is kind of funny, because if you think about it, prayer is the means by which we ask God to send the Holy Spirit and do things, but in order to pray that God would send the Holy Spirit, God needs to send His Holy Spirit. If that makes sense. We need the Holy Spirit working in our lives in order to be praying for the Holy Spirit to be working in our lives. So which comes first, the chicken or the egg? And the answer is the egg. I mean, God comes first. The Holy Spirit, I don't know, or is God the chicken? I don't know, but whichever. God is the one who comes first. God is the one who is prior. God always initiates, we respond. In salvation, God initiates, we respond. In prayer, God initiates. And so even if right now you're kind of feeling like, man, I really would love to develop a prayer life, that's God. No human being thinks that on their own. Satan certainly doesn't prompt us to think that way. God right now is prompting you to think about prayer. So there's the Holy Spirit already moving in your life. So we need to pray by means of the guidance and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We, we need the Holy Spirit moving in us. When What that means is that we have to be in a, a, an attitude of dependency upon God. I, I think that's the, the key concept of praying in the Spirit. It's that I'm dependent. It's that I come to God and I say, God, I don't know what to say. I, I, I don't know how to pray. Would you help me? Sometimes when I go praying, it's, you know, I, I do prayer walks and I, I pray in my room and you know, pray different places, and sometimes I don't know what to say. And my prayers start this way. Holy Spirit, help me to pray. I don't know what to say. Guide me. Help me to know what to say right now. And, and, and sure enough, God answers. And God starts to help me to pray and, and starts focusing on my mind on spiritual things. And so we need the Holy Spirit to guide us in prayer. Uh, certainly, we need to be uh, all squared up with God. If there's any unconfessed sin in our lives, the first thing we have to do is confess sin. 
If, if I've been wandering away from the Lord or, or living or thinking or being or having attitudes that were contrary to God's will, the first thing I have to do is repent of those because I can't even pretend to think that God is going to send His Spirit into my life and through my life if I'm sinning willfully against God. You know, sin quenches the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. So we have to be, prayed, we have to be sort of dependent upon God and repentant. And once we're in that place, then God moves by His Spirit and helps us to pray. Well, here's a question. What is it like to pray in the Spirit? I mean, how do you know if it's happening? How do you know if you're doing it? What does it feel like to pray in the Spirit? And, and I, I guess the, the key word, if I, if I could summarize praying in the Spirit in one word, the key word that comes to mind is freedom. That when you pray in the Spirit, there's a sense of freedom in prayer. In other words, when I'm praying in the Spirit, it's not like, okay, what was that prayer that I memorized when I was six? I've got to say that prayer. Or, or what, is God, what am I supposed to say? What kind of things am I supposed to do? When I'm praying in the Spirit, it just like comes out of my heart. It's like when my five-year-old son, I get home from work, and he's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. He's got all kinds of things in his mind that he wants to tell me he's been doing all day. And he climbs up in my lap. You know, he sits here, and his face is right here because five-year-olds have no concept of personal space. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he gets right here, and he's grabbing me and climbing on me and, you know, wrestling me, going, Dad, and this happened, and this happened. You know, and he's just free. He, he knows that I love him. He knows that I'm here for him. And so he's just full-on, open, vulnerable, just pouring out his heart to me. That's the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Because what is the Holy Spirit? It tells us in Romans chapter 8. It's the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what the word Abba means. Dada. And it's through the Holy Spirit that I've come to realize that Christ died for me. The Holy Spirit helps me to see that my sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit opens my eyes so that I can see that God loves me. And man, when you're free like that, when you know that Christ has forgiven you, and you can just run full bore into the presence of God and tell Him whatever it is that's on your heart. And, doesn't, and at that point, you don't worry about, are my words sounding eloquent? Am I saying the right thing? Am I reciting the right prayer? It won't matter, because you're just pouring it out to God, and the Spirit will guide you in that. That's the kind of praying that is the joy of the Christian life, the free praying in the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit helps us to see that we are the children of the living God, and everything else happens from there. So we've got to pray in the Spirit. Number two, we've got to pray... On all occasions, or it says elsewhere, without ceasing, or pray continually. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see that phrase, pray on all occasions, or pray unceasingly, this is the first thing that comes into my mind. I don't have time. <laughs> I am way too busy to pray like that. Where... How do I pray on all occasions? All right, forget all occasions. I'm not even close to that. How can I just pray on any kind of regular basis? Maybe someday I'll get to all occasions and pray continually. Right now, just struggling to pray on a regular basis, how do I do that? Uh, you know, my life is full. I have work. You have driving back and forth to work. You have um, uh, schoolwork. You have homework. You have classes. You have housework, yard work, maintenance on the house. You have bills to pay. You have to get to the gym. You have to 
you know, go to the sporting event. I mean, our lives are full. And then there's church. You, gotta, you come to church, and then there's that Bible study or small group that you're a part of on a personal basis to be fed. And then there's the ministry that you help out in in church, that committee you're on or that ministry team that you're a part of. And so, you know, our lives are very full as, as people. That's one of the marks, I think, of suburban living that cuts across uh, uh, socioeconomic categories. In the suburbs, we just tend to be way too wicked busy. And so where is prayer going to fit into my life? Not even a continual prayer. I mean, just any kind of prayer. How do you fit it in? I wish I had an easy answer to that question. <laughs> you remember a couple years back, there was that, that management book that was kind of a bestseller, The One Minute Manager? You know, I, I wish I had a book like The One Minute Prayer. Some little gimmick I could give you, some little technique that if you did it, you know, you'd suddenly have this flamboyant prayer life, this vibrant conversation with God. I wish I had some, like, you know, hot tip I could give you. I don't think there is one. I mean, if you have one, give it to me so I can write a book and make a lot of money. I'd appreciate it. But, you know, there isn't one. I mean, there's no, there's no secret to prayer. The only way to have a successful prayer life is we have to make a commitment to do it, Period. Just as we have made, whether we know it or not, commitments to TV shows that we have to watch on a regular basis, just as we have made and I have made commitments to extracurricular activities, going to the gym, exercising, uh, hobbies, even as we have made commitments, whether we know it or not, to all these activities, the only way to pray and, and have a successful prayer life is you have to make a commitment. It takes a lifestyle change. You know, it's, it's, like, uh, ex- it's like losing weight and being fit. You know, it's January at my gym, and there's all these new faces in the gym. <laughs> there they are. They always come every January. All these new faces show up, and I'm like, well, you know, how long are they going to last? Two, three weeks. And, and people think that, you know, if, if they just kind of throw money at a gym membership, maybe this is how they're going to get in shape and lose weight. And, and you know that the only way to really get in shape and lose weight is you have to eat right and exercise. There's no gimmick. There's no wonder pill. There's no wonder shake. You just have to eat right and exercise. In other words, it takes a lifestyle change. And it's the same thing with prayer. If we're really going to become a praying people, there's not going to be any gimmick. It's going to take a lifestyle change in our lives. And, and I wish I had some easier advice. I'm not trying to guilt you or anything. I'm just saying this is how it is. Prayer takes that. And so maybe it means that I give up that one show on TV that I like that I probably shouldn't be watching anyway. And I say, okay, that hour, I'm going to try to figure out how to pray. At least once a week. <laughs> or, or maybe it's, um, I stay up till 11, I stay up till midnight every night. Not for any good reason, I'm just kind of, I stay up. What if I go to bed a half hour early and get, a half hour, get up half hour earlier to pray? You know, or, or uh, I heard one lady tell me once, she said, if I could do it all over again, what I would do is every week I would give my husband one night where he could go and pray and be with the Lord, and read the Bible, and, and just leave, keep the kids away from him. And then that same week, he would give me one night where I could go alone and, and read the Bible and pray. So that, if nothing else, we'd at least get that one time during the week to pray. But whatever it is, it's going to take lifestyle changes. So maybe that's something you need to wrestle through, and I need to wrestle through with this new year as we do our New Year's resolutions about all kinds of things that aren't really that important. I mean, what about a New Year's resolution about prayer? That, Lord, I really want to find a time to start learning how to pray on a regular basis. And then once you get that, the key is just, you just got to be a dog on a bone. 
You've got to be tenacious and hang with it. And there's no shortcut. You just have to keep fighting. And you're going to fall off the wagon and you've got to get back on and just keep praying. And praying that God will help you to pray. Because it's a war. Everything else comes easier in the Christian life except for prayer. Prayer is the one hard thing. And of course it's the hard thing. Because Satan is opposing you in prayer. If He knows that if you and I start praying, he's cooked. And so he's going to oppose our prayers because he knows that's how we call in that close air support that really does the spiritual war. Okay, moving quickly here. Number three, we've got to pray in the Spirit. We've got to pray on all occasions. Number three, we've got to pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. What do I say? What do I say when I pray? I don't know how to pray. Well, you know, say all kinds of things. Give thanks to God. Praise God. Do you see a beautiful sunset? Start with that. Lord, thank you for the beautiful sunset I saw. Praise Him for who He is. Um, thank Him. You know, sometimes I get stuck when I'm praying. and I, I don't, I kind of, What am I going to say? I, I, I stop. And one of the things that I've, I use to sort of push myself forward through roadblocks in prayer is I'll just start thanking God for things. I start going through my life and, you know, the old count your blessings, name them one by one, that old thing. It works. And, and you need to do it. Just start thanking God for this and this, and pretty soon I'm praying again. Uh, thank Him. Uh, ask for things. Ask for people you know who need help, whatever it is. Just ask the Lord to move in people's lives. We call that intercession. And then finally, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Here we go. Here's the last qualifier. Always keep on praying for all the saints. This is a team effort. No one here is an army of one. I think sometimes, especially as Westerners and as Americans, we, and I tend to read this verse in a very personalized way. I read it as, oh, remember, this is all plurals in Greek. The whole, the whole epistle is written in the plural. It's to all of us. So we as a body need to be joining together to pray for each other, to lift each other up. Are you in a Bible study with someone? Do you pray for those people? Are you, do you have a Sunday school class you teach? Do you pray for the children? You know, one of the things that's helped me in this area, because again, I, I struggle in prayer as much as anyone. One of the things that's helped me is I get those little church directories. About every two, three times a year, we put out a phone directory of the people who are regular attenders of the church. You know, if you fill out those little pew pads, then we, we get your phone number, and we put it in there so we have sort of a directory of people in the church. And I, I appreciate that because I pray through that. I take that directory, and, and that's just my list. And so, I, you know, within a couple months, I'll have prayed for all the names in the directory, and I just pray for people. And if I know their situation, I pray for it. If I don't know their situation, I just pray more generally. But I just want to pray for all the saints and lift you up in prayer because I know that you're lifting me up in prayer. So, so it's the whole body doing that. And then if I could just close on this thought, sort of go off from the text here a little bit, but not off the Bible. It's not just that we should pray for each other. I think it's also important that we pray with each other. With each other. And here I'm talking about the concept of corporate. That when you look in the New Testament, the church gathered regularly for prayer. In other words, it's not enough for you and me just to go into our private closet and pray. The, the scriptures call us to gather together to pray as a body. And if I were to do a, a spiritual diagnosis or spiritual assessment of South Shore Baptist Church, where we're at right now in terms of prayer, you know, well, where are we in terms of prayer as a church? I mean, are we a praying church? I, I believe so. I, I mean, we're not a not praying church. 
We're not prayerless. There's prayer going on. I know you pray. I pray. Uh, the elders gather together to pray once a month in a prayer meeting. The, my staff prays once a week. You know, before every service, the praise team goes out here and they pray. Right now, there's a prayer team praying. So I know that prayer is going on. We're not a prayerless church. We do pray. But when I look at our church's sort of prayer topography, where I see a huge valley, a huge hole, is in the area of corporate prayer. It, we, just, we, we just don't do it at South Shore Baptist Church. And we don't all come together and pray. And we hear about group prayer meetings and we're like, oh, you know, brother. And, you know, oh, and, and I've been convicted about this. Part of it's my fault for not leading strongly in this area. And, and that's sort of what the Lord's been convicting me about. So um, we need to do this. Uh, one of my uh, New Year's resolutions, not personally, but more pastorally, is this year I want to see South Shore Baptists attempt some more corporate praying. Specifically, here's my New Year's resolution. I would like to see us get together this year as a whole body and try to do this four times and pray together as a congregation. Some of you are thinking, four times, that's it? Hey, baby steps, okay? <laughs> Let's ease into this. Uh, besides, if we, do, if we pull off four times, that'll be four more times than last year. So uh, we, we need to get together and pray as a body. I know you're praying, but there's something important about the whole body praying. It's a biblical pattern. And through corporate prayer, we, we, we really lay hold of the throne of God. It's one thing for one of you to write a letter to the governor. It's another thing for all of us to write a letter at the same time to the governor and sign all our names at the bottom. And I think that's the idea. We, we come to God as his children together and cry out for missionaries, for building projects, for the salvation of the South Shore, for all kinds of prayers and requests. So that's my goal. The first one we're going to try is this one I told you about. The all-church prayer in January. That's, the, that's our first uh, salvo, and we're going to try three more this year. So hold me accountable on my New Year's resolution. I want to try to do four sometime this year. Let me close by reading from Acts chapter 4. This is when Peter and John were thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported everything that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together, together in prayer to God. Here's what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then he quotes a, a prayer from David in Psalm 2. Why do the nations and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and here's their prayer, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of, our, of your holy servant, Jesus. And get this, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray, shall we?
Lord God, we do just again confess our dependence upon you. We read this verse and we realize we need to be a prayerful people. And Lord, we come to confess our dependence upon you for that. We, we can't even pray without your help. And so, Lord, we just start afresh this year by saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Enable us to pray by the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that for those of us here who've never really prayed before, that this might be a, a beginning of a whole new world that we might enter into. For those of us who are stalwart prayer warriors, Lord, keep us going and encouraged and fired up not to give up. Lord, for those of us who are somewhere in between, call us, renew us, take us to new uh, dimensions of praying. Lord, I pray as a, as a church, you would help us to get together corporately and pray. Lord, we confess our prayerlessness at the corporate level as sin and as, as disobedience. Lord, help us to pray together as a body and to care about prayer. And then, Lord, show us your mighty hand. And then, Lord, do great things among us. We are already doing great things in this church, but Lord, blow us away with what you could do if we will just fall on our knees in humility and independence and ask you to move. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.